You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but not limit us. Yeah, we talk about stand-up comedy, surfing, religion, family issues, Doritos, hemorrhoids, the bears, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. Hey. Yo. You're in another room with people. There are people in this room. That's right. We are not alone. She didn't wave. Why does she, she doesn't like me? She doesn't like you at all. <laughs> now you got to wave. Um, have you ever looked at yourself and noticed something and thought, I thought my family loved me enough to tell me that I looked this way, right? Or I, I thought you mean my like friend, something hanging out of your nose kind of yeah, a thing? Like you got something in your teeth yeah. or... Yeah. You got something hanging out of your nose. For me, it's so my barber um, often goes on these rants while he's cutting my hair. Oh, no. And messes up a bit. And sometimes it's little things. But I've got these antennas here on my part line that he cut. My hair is like six inches long for those who can't see it. And there's these couple hairs. They're like two to three inches. And they stick up like little antenna like i'm like, like a, my favorite martian kind of a thing yeah <laughs> like i'm bugged i'm i'm an fbi informant and uh that and everybody knows it but me <laughs> and nobody tells me this why doesn't anybody tell me this i can't that's I can't the funny tell. thing it was oh it always felt to me like the right thing to do to tell somebody right like it seems wrong not to tell them right it's not like if they found out that you knew that whole time and they didn't tell you then they'd be upset with you they'd say why didn't you tell me that like it's honest, insult, I tell strangers it. all the time how bad they look as a courtesy. <laughs> as a courtesy to they them. Don't. It's not it's not me, it's you. Here's a good story. I was a, a teacher for uh, a special education teacher for students with autism at a private school uh, where um, very low functioning students who couldn't public school didn't have adequate services for they would send them to our school. Mm. And so one day as a joke, there were five teachers in a room. It was all one-on-one -on -one teaching. So as a joke, I came back from lunch and I had covered two of my teeth with brownie. So it looked like I had like, and it wasn't a small, it was huge, right? Two of my teeth were coated <laughs> in brownie as if it was just stuck there. And so I went in and I made it quite obvious that I had, you know, I was talking and I was pulling my lips up and I laughed and we were chatting as we were getting back, getting our students back on track for, 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 um, teaching. And so we all went back into our cubbies where we taught one-on-one -on -one, and nobody said anything for like 10 minutes. None of the other teachers said anything. And then I start teaching my student, Joshua and Joshua, who is fairly nonverbal, doesn't speak much. He's five years old, stops in the middle of a lesson, looks at me and goes, eh, 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 and slowly sticks his finger up and touches me on the tooth to tell me that I have something in my teeth. And so I stood up in the middle of, of everybody teaching and I said, Joshua is my best and only friend in this classroom because he's the only one who's willing to help me when I have something in my teeth. This was obviously a gag. And somebody said, oh, we noticed, but we just didn't want to embarrass you. I was like, exactly, embarrass me to the whole world instead. That's much better. You've got it backwards, people. You should definitely tell them when it's happening. Definitely tell them for sure. By the way, you, your hat is very tiny. Oh, thank you for letting me know. Yes, I do have a tiny hat. It's uh, It's been I'm with me for a while. I'm some of them actually smaller. Some of them are bigger. Mm, mm, it's kind of like you got good. something right here on the dome of your head kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So right. today what we wanted to talk about was uh, the spiritual quality and ability of music. And um, I've got some great stories of times when um, songs and music have really spoken to me on a much deeper, more meaningful level where it felt like uh, it was something I needed at my core or it released something important and meaningful or, you know, the emotions I was feeling somehow uh, were sung or portrayed in the music in a way that I needed to hear in order to actually feel that emotion. Um, so before I tell mine, Jamie, do you have any good stories of, of when mu music has connected with you on a deeper, more spiritual way? 
Um, well, listen, I'm going to go with a very general to start. And I think after you give some examples, we'll go back and forth. But on a general level, um, I think music, when it comes to Judaism, is a very, it's a central part of what we do. Um, you could come to a Shabbat meal and, and, and people will sing in between the courses of the meal. There are songs that specifically are sung on Friday night and Saturday afternoon. So there's lots of singing. Um, but in that regard, in a specific, you know, in actual religious context, um, when I lived in Providence, Rhode Island, after we finished college, the first place I really started going to synagogue on my own and, and, uh, and, and praying there on my own was a place called Temple Emmanuel, which is on the east side of Providence, not east Providence, east side of Providence. You know the difference, right? There's a difference. I learned that once. Um, but in this synagogue, there was, uh, it had like a dome. If you looked outside it, it kind of looked like the Dome of the Rock here in Jerusalem. And, it, and that dome, the sound would actually bounce off the ceiling and back mm. down to the point at which if you were sitting in the right spot or in a spot in, this, in, the, in the main sanctuary and someone was whispering at another point, you could hear them whispering. Um, and you could hear what they were saying. So if you sat in the in and around the actual center of that uh, mm-hmm. that dome, like right under it, it was like I've never I've never in my life felt the amount of sound that was going on. And so the the cantor of that synagogue, while I was there, moved from being up in front on the on the stage, the bima as we call it, to mm-hmm. being in the center. And this and the, and the prayer experience that was going on there was absolutely amazing. People were harmonizing, and and I and and to this day. I've gone to lots of different places to pray in Jerusalem and other places of the world. I've yet to find an experience quite like that. It was, it was extremely moving. Mm, so, let me uh, probe that for a minute before I share mine. So why, sure. why was the echo and effect of that? What did that do different to you physically? So it actually made me feel like I was 100% enveloped in like song and music uh-huh. that the people all around me, like it was like you could close your eyes and, and it felt like everyone's voices were sort of dancing together in a way. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the, and the cantor who I'm, who I was speaking of, his name is Brian Mayer. If you won't mind me saying that he has a perfect pitch. So his ability to harmonize and everyone harmonizing together. And I think also um, it was at a time where the words of the prayers were in Hebrew. And I didn't know Hebrew at that point to a level at which I felt like I was able to pray and know all the words that I was saying and know the background to all the words I was saying. So it was really about the melody and the tone and the music. Mm-hmm. And it was just very, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. So it sounded like the noise took on a, a very viscous physical effect. Like you were swimming in something, the air around you became thick and uh, you can feel it in a yeah. way. Yeah, that's Total. beautiful. That's and it's amazing that you know sound is nothing more than waves uh, in the air, and yet most of the time they just sort of pass through. Mm-hmm. And that's why I call it spiritual because it's when those take on a more visceral effect that you can feel, you can taste, uh, you can smell and see that um, are somehow you know, just what you need at the right time or connected to something that's within you. It's not a sound wave, but just passing through you that you can translate with your ears. Um, but it's a message from God or it's an emotional um, depth that you didn't realize you needed or had within you. You know, I think there's something about music that's incredibly profound in its simplicity, right? Like in its most basic element, again, it's, it's just waves. You tap things, you pluck things, you bang on things and it makes noise. My kids do it all the time and it never has a spiritual effect, right? In fact, it has the exact opposite effect. <laughs> my, my, uh, my, my almost two-year-old Isla currently sings Namaste over and over and over again. And it has, other than a cute baby, you know, singing this incredibly profound word, it doesn't have much of a deeper meaning or level. So it's very simplistic, uh, mm. but I mean, it has the uh, the capacity to really take you away from what you're experiencing right now, you know, for better or for worse. Sure. Um, I remember driving in my car once and uh, it was, we were preparing to go back to Rhode Island. It was a couple months after my, my brother died um, suddenly. And we were going there for, to visit some friends, but also most, the point of the trip was to uh, spread his ashes and do a final kind of a memorial uh, for him. 
And I remember I was driving in the car and just kind of going through details of making sure the flights are in place and the, the girls got their stuff packed and we have plans lined up and, and I was preparing a service and where we'd scatter the ashes and such. And I remember uh, a song came on a Spotify playlist that I didn't make. Um, and it was, uh, let your heart beat here. It's by dashboard confessional. Mm-hmm. And it's a new, one of his Chris Carabba's newer songs. But I just remember um, the the very first line immediately floored me. It was, um, come on home and let yourself heal. Uh, you can sleep for a thousand years. Uh, wow. I won't let you disappear. Let your heart beat, beat here. And I just thought about how meaningful it was because I'm being from Rhode Island most of my life and moving to California as a transplant, most of my roots, uh, emotional upbringing, spiritual, and my, my family um, was there. And it was like, it was like a place where I can finally let go of everything that I was like that, you know, that I had been, you know, the, all of what we do in our adult life, we miss kind of that reconnection to our child childhood. And I think amidst grief, we defer to this busyness, this kind of get it done and and don't let it you know, don't feel it. And, um, you know, he literally said, come on home and let yourself heal. And I just thought in that moment, I, you know, I started crying and I was just um, letting the words fill me and it caught me off guard. It put me in a place that I needed to be deeper into that grief and that emotion, but I was unwilling to be otherwise. Like I needed to be forced into it, tricked into it almost by the universe into really feeling that. And, um, you know, going back, that trip was just phenomenal. I still have a picture of, of me and a bunch of my friends from that trip up, up right here in front of me. Um, because we had, you know, we, we did the spreading of the ashes. I spent time with my mom. We went back to the oceans I grew up at and brought my girls there for the first time ever. Um, there was one of those uh, evening, uh, you know, rain showers that's that's, you know, spurred by humidity that we don't get in California that I just right. loved. And, and me and the girls immediately were like, let's go play. And we ran and played in puddles the way you do. And we get rain in California, but it is not that, you know, it's not. So there was something that that music, that song did to me um, on a very ethereal, uh, emotional, it was like a gift, you know, to say, you need to feel this. You need to go deeper into this. I know you don't want to go there, but this is a safe space. And it's still a song that is on my, it's called, uh, it's called a grief, my grief playlist, because I know that I'm, I'm very, my, my lifestyle is very, what I would call manic depressive. It's not, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not diagnosed bipolar. I don't have any. Um, Did you diagnose yourself or do you yeah. want to help with that? No, I don't. It, <laughs> it's not a personality disorder, more of a personality type. Um, uh, yes. And, but it's, you know, either high energy or low energy. And I've learned if I don't, sink into that low energy or that sadness, I can't have as high of energy or be as productive and, and myself as I want to be on the other side. Um, so I've learned to have a playlist of songs and it's called grief and it's uh, filled with stuff that just makes me feel on a deeper level, whether it's about, you know, death and loss or just about, you know, those melancholy tones um, like Bon Iver. Do you like Bon Iver? I uh, go ahead. Tell me more. What are you bon like? Iver about is, he's, he's the one Jimmy Fallon jokes that um, even Bon Iver falls asleep to his own music. But um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, he's one that I mean, it, it just kind of slows everything down and makes you feel those kind of um, slower emotions, those that aren't always on the surface, um, that are deep and meaningful, those that I often pass by. So here's some other songs on there. It's the heartbeat here by dashboard. Um, landslide the the um smashing pumpkins version nice, nice. Uh, sigh no more by mumford and sons release by pearl jam so they're all just they're just songs that that where i let music kind of feel that um those emotions that i often ignore or repress in some way and i love do you that. do you feel like you have specific, like are your playlists organized by mood in that way do you have like a no. like a sort of no that but this is just one that has a mood for you there's a couple but most of them you know i have um you know kind of my my workout playlist i have my um uh that grief playlist i have uh one 
that's just kind of a ro- romantic love songs. I've got another, the other one is on the emotional side of, of um, you know, joy and optimism and positive thinking is called looking up. Uh, and it's a lot of just fun loving songs, but um, yeah. The My wife was- likes to make fun of me because I actually have a, a playlist called Briss Playlist. Which is what I, <laughs> and for those who don't know what bris is, it's circumcision. I have a, I have a list, which I actually listen to on my way to doing a bris. It's like a psych up kind of, cause also I sing a lot during the, the ceremony. So I get myself singing and I get my voice sort of, you know, warmed up. Um, but yeah, that's like, uh, that's one of my lists is I have a bris playlist. I, don't, I doubt there are many people out there that can say the same. So are you singing, uh, are you singing like uh, Aerosmith and, uh, or hardcore <laughs> rap during the bris or what, what do you. During the bris itself, I have what's called, we have these things. This is interesting because I just actually want to t- touch on this a little bit is that we have things in Judaism. We have things called nigunim and a nigun is a wordless song, which just tunes that we hum. And that could, that could be at a Shabbos meal or whatever, but, but nigunim are like the tunes that we all, right. So, when I'm actually doing a bris, I, I do those sorts of things. It's wordless songs and I'll sort of hum along. And, and a lot of the people who are there hopefully join in. Otherwise it's like me doing a solo for 15 minutes, which I don't know why anybody would want to hear that. But the, uh, but so th- those sorts of things, one of the songs is actually on that list that, so I don't forget that one. Cause I always seem to forget that one. Um, but yeah, that's that. And, and at the playlist, I'm sorry, at the bris itself, I'm not usually singing love in an elevator or anything like that. It doesn't usually, that's not what I, <laughs> not what I go for. That's um, so actually I'll tell you something interesting is that, I mean, for, for a long time in my life, music has played, there's always been music in my life. My mother is a music teacher. I'll sort of put a caveat there that as my mother has, has been a music teacher and is retired as a music teacher. But when we were in the car, we never listened to music. So I, don't ask me why she didn't want to listen to music, but she didn't. And so we would, uh, when, but when my life sort of became more about music, it, it became something which enveloped sort of the work I was doing. Sometimes when I was studying in college, I would listen to music. But then when, when uh, I got my first, um, my first iPod, that was really it for me. When I could have all the music sort of in my hand, that changed everything. And, uh, and are you a High Fidelity fan? Do you, do you like that movie, High Fidelity? Yeah. So, so, right. So one of the, my favorite things about that uh, is his top fives. I love all his top fives. I actually have a top five playlist, but then one of the other things in that movie, which always stayed with me was him was the way that he talked about making a mixtape for someone Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie. And that became, for me, playlists are are mixtapes, right? We don't have mixtapes anymore. Most of us, most of us just make playlists. So I started making playlists for my wife, Leah, a long time ago. Uh, when we were first dating, I made her the first one. And then I made subsequently, I, I made her one every Hanukkah as a, as a Hanukkah present. So there are now, we just got our 12th list this past December. Um, and what's nice about it is not only that, you know, I sort of have the new music from the year or whatever, but it, it, it actually ends up telling a little bit of a story about the last year, especially now. I don't know if you, if you've heard uh, in, I don't know if the people are doing this in America, but in Israel, when when COVID first hit, there were a lot of artists that made songs about what it was like living with, during COVID-19 era, um, what it was like when it started. And one of our um, one of our musicians, his name is Yishai Ribo. He's a very popular musician here. And he wrote this unbelievably haunting song about the weeks that, and how things changed from week to week and what was happening in the world as we were sort of going into our first lockdown. Um, the song is called Keter Malchut, if anyone wants to find it. Um, I'll, I'll actually link it in the, play, in, the, in the show notes, as we always do. But I'll, I'll link it in the notes. But it's, a, it's a, an extremely powerful song, which just talks about how the world was changing. And, and he keeps asking questions like, God, what am I supposed to learn from this? What is this supposed to teach us? And it's, it's just one of those really powerful songs. And so in the last playlist... I had, you know, it usually is a very upbeat, fun kind of list and my kids like it and, and they, they get excited when, you know, the list is being given for the Hanukkah present. But this one had these like these, this sort of undercurrent of things that were going on in the world. And so it, beca- it became more of um, that sort of looking at the year back and what was going on and, and what music was coming out. Um, and similarly, I don't, Leah and I actually have a tradition that um, we started when we were first married. Um, where we actually journal 
to each other. We take every each year right before the our anniversary, we we write in like a journal to each other and talk about what was the year before and what we're looking for in the year coming. And in a way, for me, that's sort of what music is all about as well. It gives you these, it's like, it's almost like a smell memory. It takes you right back to yeah. where you were. Yeah, the, the, it's like the, the, um, the time travel effect of music where it just brings you back to that moment. Like um, Stairway to Heaven brings me back to my first kiss every time. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And I remember how well it went. If, you, yes. if, if anyone yes. wants to hear that story, I forget. It's one of the episodes. Uh, yes. But yeah, music, I mean, it does bring you back. And uh, sometimes it's to, you know, just an era of music, but other times it's to like a, uh, an age or a feeling that you have. And it's, it's just amazing that it can do that instantaneously. You know, a song comes on the radio um, and you just feel like a kid again, or you feel like you, um, you know, had your first child because that's a song that was popular when you had your first child. Right. Uh, so interestingly, in Judaism as well, something similar to that, we have these things that I was talking about, the nigunim, the, the, the wordless songs. We have different um, tunes that we sing for the weekday prayers. And then we have it, the, the tune changes on Shabbat. There's a different tune for Shabbat. It's like, I think it's in a different key. Don't mark me on that. I'm sure my mother's going to get mad at me when she hears this. But, the, um, but also there are specific tunes to the prayers that you sing that are on the high holidays, right? During the Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. And so it, it actually is doing that for you. It, it gives you that instantaneous sort of musical memory of this season. It's a very powerful thing. Mm -hmm. One of the things uh, I've, I've found over the years was a, a vocal coach named Davin Youngs. He's out of Chicago and um, he, he's a vocal coach, you know, kind of by hire for hire, but um, he does some performance, but a lot of healing and group connection through music. Uh, one of the YouTube videos I stumbled upon was when he was hired for basically um, a company that was, uh, you know, like, like the company on, on the office where, you know, kind of cookie cutter, a lot of accountants and sales and very um, cookie cutter kind of boring conference they all had to go to every year. And Davin and his team came as the uh, keynotes. And instead of getting up and starting talking, he sort of flash mobbed this group and he walked into the middle of the crowd as they were waiting for the keynote speaker. He sort of covert walks in the middle of the crowd and just busts out a note. And then he turns to like, a, it was a very blue man group moment. He turns directly to a woman at a table and he busts the same note loud in her face. And wow. then he, he kind of invites her with his hands and he busts the note a third time. And she's like, this is so absurd. And 200 people are looking at me. So I'm embarrassed, but this guy is so believable and he has a beautiful voice. I mean, it's just captivating yeah. and enriching. And so she starts to sing the note along. Yeah. And then he walks over to, and then he does this, two, he builds it into a tune with this one woman and then grabs another person to join and invites them both to stand up until at the end of this very short uh, kind of flash mob performance, the entire crowd that is bored out of their minds prior, uh, probably texting their family members, Googling something on their phones, uh, you know, doing reports for later, are now up and singing and joyous and their face, their faces have changed, their emotions have changed, they're connective, they're singing together. And, and the whole thing is this sort of experience of joy. And then he has that kind of spiritual connection we keep going back to in order to speak some truth into their life and help them, you know, with them, it was essentially a motivational talk after that about the effect of music. Um, and it's just this profound way that he uses music in this very playful, very creative manner um, to do what most motivational speakers and keynote speakers try to do with jokes or try to do with, you know, um, deep, uh, intimate stories, you know, and he just used music and it was absolutely wow. amazing um, to see that, that kind of ethereal. Did it end up being a song that everyone knew or did everybody sing the same note? How did it end up? Like what, it wasn't, what happened? it wasn't a known kind of pop song. It was, it was basically beats and notes and humming that they all did together. Um, he also utilizes uh, breath a lot and the, 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 the physiology of music and breath to um, coach people through healing power of voice. Um, wow. So one of some of the things he said in there 
that I thought were amazing. I wrote them, wrote them down at the time that I listened to this podcast was, uh, when, um, when there is a choir or a group of people singing the same song, uh, their heart will often syncopate. They'll beat, beat in the same kind of rhythm. They don't beat at the same exact time, but the same rhythm. And that includes people with arrhythmias, people with irregular heartbeats. So people who have, um, a, you know, who have, um, heart issues their whole life will sing with a group and they can measure physiologically what their heart rate is. And it'll slowly adapt to a natural healthy rhythm of the rest of the group for the time that they're singing. And it's just, it's this amazing effect of their whole lives. They've had this rhythm that was unhealthy for them and just singing with other people somehow had this bigger communal effect to help heal them in some way and give them, you know, that break of relief from whatever discomfort they felt from having a irregular heart rhythm. He also talks about breath and how just the simple uh, exercise of breathing uh, together, which you almost have to do if you're singing together, um, does wonders for healing, physiology, um, all the systems of your body wind up working, functioning more effectively together because not only are you breathing in a pattern that's healthier, but you're also somehow connected to a group of people. It's like a communal healing is going on. Like, let's find the best possible scenario for our bodies. And we're all going to help serve and give energy to one another through music to make us all healthy and whole again. It almost reminded me of the, the ideal of shalom that, that Judaism strives for and understands God is a part of, right? This, this wholeness that God brings us back to, um, that music somehow does in a very practical, actual way in real time. Uh, just from singing together, I thought that was another profound. It's it's very profound. I you know when I was when I was younger, I think maybe even on into college, definitely through high school. I think I had only been to one concert. I had never gone to a concert. What then was even it? What was I, your first concert? Uh, my first concert was actually Beach Boys in Chicago with my grandfather. Thank you, Poppy. Of Beach late. Boys. <laughs> <laughs> and like, did you see? I don't know if you saw all of those Bernie. I'm sure you saw all the Bernie memes. But did you see the one where? It was him sitting there in that just the regular picture, and above it it said, um, "Going to a concert after 30. and that was the picture of him with his oh, you know, hands good. crossed. Yep. And like yep. my grandfather, that's exactly what he did when we went to the Beast Boys in Chicago. He sat there, he didn't move. I'm up on my feet, woo, screaming, loving it, but he just would not move. He was like, "All right, when can we go home?" But the uh, but that was my first concert. And then when I when I started going to concerts, I think it was almost after college, during college, just after college, I started like it started being more of an experience for me that I understood. Number one, I started understanding that you you know if you go to the right concerts, the people are not just playing what you because I always thought like I have their music on a CD. Why do I have to go you know watch them pay them <laughs> money? Like what's the big deal? And then I started understanding it. And I think one of the moments where I started like to really like where it really clicked for me was when I was at, um, there, I'm going to forget the name of the center, but it was in Worcester, Massachusetts, or sorry, Worcester. And I, um, and it was Dave Matthews and it had been raining through the whole opening acts. And I think the opening act was Macy Gray, which if you're a fan, I'm sorry, but I don't get it. <laughs> she herself said if she could, if she cleared her throat, she wouldn't have a career. So I didn't understand her music, but, she, but, um, he kept coming out and introducing the, the the opening acts as he always does. And it's like drizzling and kind of raining the whole time. And I didn't even know at the time, you know how dangerous that is, right? Like there's so much electricity going on that stage that when it's raining, it's not exactly the best place to be. Um, and he comes out right as it's still raining and, and whatever. And he opens up with, um, it's called, oh, I'm just going to blank on the name of the song because I didn't have it. But it's like, it's like J, JTR, I think it's called, which is... He, he played it on a 12 string guitar and the chorus of the song is rain down on me. Okay. And the, and the place, every time he said rain down on me, the place was like it went crazy. And I was he like, knows it's raining. He knows it's, <laughs> that guy knows it's raining. And he picked the song that says rain. And I was like, so into it, but I was like, Oh, I get it now. This is like a communal experience. We're all coming together. To like and and if you go to a concert, most people I think right they're singing along with the person on stage and they feel this sort of maybe they feel a connection maybe they don't feel a connection, but it's really about what you said. It's about that sort of communal experience of of being together singing and 
it's probably a lot of drugs that I wasn't into that, but whatever. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And I, I think that singing piece is key. Yeah. I remember music, that connection piece, like you can walk around the world, you could walk through New York city, bumping into people and feel so alone, but then you're at a concert with those same strangers and somehow you feel this very energetic connection to everyone around you. I was right. at a U2 concert for their, um, the 30th anniversary of their Joshua tree album. Oh, wow. One of my favorite albums. We we went with two of our best friends and met them there. And um, I remember it was shortly after, um, I think it was just my, either my father's death or, or after my father and brother died within uh, a short bit of time. And so I was dealing with some stuff and just kind of going through the motions. I had a lot, a lot, a lot of stress from work, um, a lot of, a couple of newborn kids. So my whole life was very heavy. Um, and so I went there, you know, just hoping for an escape. Uh, and I remember expecting to hear the Joshua tree in order. Mm. And what they did was they got up and I mean, the, the, the show, the, the performance that U2 puts on is always phenomenal. But I remember just being enthralled by this, the stage setup. Um, and they started with a few songs that they were hits prior to um, the Joshua tree. And I know their whole catalog. I've listened to Rattle and Hum thousands of times. I listened to their stuff when they started as a Christian group. I know every song, but they started with, they, they um, were in a crowd of 30,000 people and they started singing this song. Uh, and I was like, I, I hadn't heard this one. Uh, but somehow again, in the same way that uh, Heartbeat here spoke to me, uh, Bono was speaking right to me. And uh we're best friends now, but yeah. uh, <laughs> the, the song is bad. If you know, bad, um, not Michael and, Jackson, bad, right. Different one. Not the, no, 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 not. You not didn't Michael do a Jackson cover. Bad. Some of the lyrics are, uh, um, if you twist and turn away, if you tear yourself into, um, and then he says, if I could, I would help you let it go. Surrender, dislocate. And the whole song is about letting it, letting things go and being wide awake to, um, what you're holding on to and being able to release that kind of stuff. And in, in, there's a few moments where he's just yelling over and over again in only a way that Bono can, let it go, fade away, let it go, let it go, let it go, over and over and over again. Um, and the end is I'm wide awake, wide awake. And I remember start feeling so connected to the song at first emotionally in that way I, we talked about already and then feeling a breakdown like I was going to cry and feeling embarrassed that I would cry in this massive crowd of people. Mm. Um, and I turned and looked around and just saw this complete submission and surrender that other people had. And I began to submit to that group, essentially the energy that everyone was feeling that Bono and, and the band were putting out of complete submission and surrender to get rid of all these things, but also, you know, um, let, let them go. And I remember feeling so connected, um, holding my arms out for a bit. I remember, I remember also I was sitting next to my good friend, Sugum, and I almost wanted to hold his hand, but al already felt like I was holding his hand in a way, you know what I mean? Wow. Like wow. there was no division between me and 30,000 of my closest friends in that moment. Um, just feeling so connected on a very real way that there was nothing else in the world. You know, I didn't, I didn't remember my stress, my grief. I wasn't focused on those things, but somehow they were a part of me and everyone else had that communal feeling so deeply that we were one body and one voice. And, um, you know, he was telling us to sing along. He was yelling at us to throw it away. It was just, it was one of those profound, um, experiences like what you're saying of, you know, that ability to be uh, connected with people through that music, you know, and like you said, you know, some, some uh, artists can just yell something like, Hey, are we in New York city? And everyone goes crazy because they're all connected, you know, <laughs> and I think it's this, it's this longing we have for connection for yep. to yep. be near to close to touching people, but in a way that is vulnerable and transparent and not in a, we, you, you have the, you have the cubicle next to mine, or I, right. I walked by you at the, at the subway. You know what I mean? Like we want something is, is, uh, 
baked into us as human beings that we have that need and desire for commute for connection and 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 god uses music i think in a way to connect us to one another and i'm so glad that it's starting to happen um in in spaces beyond concerts right now through kind of they're doing zoom concerts and Mm -hmm. um trying to find ways to get uh you know bands into smaller venues um that are distance because I think people need that in the places they're most vulnerable. They shouldn't have to be willing to spend 200 bucks and go out for a night. If you're hurting, if you are agoraphobic, if you're depressed and you don't want to get to a concert or can't afford it or don't live near a concert venue, that doesn't, that shouldn't make you any less able to, you know, have to fulfill that connection somehow with other people through music. And I think it's, it's just profound what um, what the pandemic has kind of been able to do has used as it's as a as a as leverage to keep that connection through music going sure, sure. when i was um see what you reminded me of was when i was uh when i was having that sort of break in my life probably the biggest break that i had when i when i went through my first first divorce i sort of walked out of my um the home that i had been building for quite a few years with uh with the woman i had been building it with and i just myself was in a very even though i didn't realize it myself i was in a very it was just a hard hard place to be <clears throat> and at that time or just before that i should say probably um bed folds had come out with uh, the uh, the album songs for silverman which i mm-hmm. think is actually one of his best um and on it is probably still my favorite song of all time if i had to pick a song it would be the song called landed um, and the wording is just, it was like one of those things I was driving. Um, I think I was driving on 95, you know, in the car by myself. And I think I had listened to the song many times before, but suddenly the wording, like you said, it just, it all of a sudden hit me. And, and then the, the wording of the song starts out by saying like, we hit bottom. Yeah. I thought it was my fault. Right. And it talks about how this, this relationship ended and the relationship that I was in, I had some, been sort of, um, for better or for worse, I had sort of lost a lot of connections to a lot of people that I loved, including my own family. I had sort of distanced myself from everybody. Um, and I, and then the, the song says uh, in the chorus, uh, until I opened my eyes and I walked out the door and the clouds came tumbling down and it's bye, 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 goodbye. I tried, right? Because I, I desperately tried to keep this relationship going. It says, I twisted it wrong until I made it right. I had to leave myself behind. And now I'm flying high. Oh my so come pick me up. I've landed. Like that for me was like that. You couldn't have defined my existence more than right there. Yeah. Um, Isn't that crazy that, that it's, you know, it's kind of spoke your reality in a much better way that, than you can, or maybe you didn't even know that that was your. It's also that feeling of you didn't even know that somebody else was feeling exactly what you felt. Right. You can feel really alone at times in your life, like you were saying. And then all of a sudden to hear somebody else saying the words that you wouldn't have thought to say, but yeah, that's exactly the way I would put it. That really makes right. you feel like you're part of, yeah, like yeah. you're not alone. Why do you think that helps so much? Like if you're feeling shitty and someone else says, I feel shitty for, and before you say it, why do you think that helps so much? What does that do? Um, well, listen, for, for when you're going through something in your life, um, First of all, if you if you think that everybody around you is having a hunky dory time and you're not, and you're the only person you know feeling down, it always helps to hear that like, you know, you're, you're not alone. I feel down, or I felt down. Right, that always helps to lift your spirits a little bit. Um, but like, I think what you're saying was was really the 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 idea, which is this this sort of connection to one another, right? And and I think whenever you sit down and you talk to somebody and you find out. You, you knew this person or you're just getting to know this person and all of a sudden you have all those things in common and you've had similar experiences in your life. You sort of go, wow, the, the, I'm not the only person who, who has gone through this and they've made it out. I'm going to make it out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, artists sometimes actually talk about writing songs, especially like that one, um, as if they were empty vessels or a conduit for somebody else to speak like the words just flowed out of them onto a page um pearl jams release me uh eddie vetter says in an interview that uh the guitarist just started playing a riff that he really liked and eddie vetter got up to, got up he's like all right, all right let me do some stuff and he went up to the mic and he just started singing what he thought needed to go with the um with the riff with the riff 
and going from there. And I can't remember but if it was the song was done, the lyrics were written after that one session, or if he had very little more additions. But essentially, it flowed through him. Like there was some godliness, some spirituality that needed to both come out of him, but then became this gift to everybody else experiencing uh, Release Me, which is an incredibly, it's one of the songs on my grief playlist. It's one of the ones that people have attributed their, um, uh, people who are contemplating suicide decided not to because they heard that song in a moment of, um, surrender and they turned their life around uh, because of it. And it's just amazing that it it flowed. He just had these emotions that flowed out of him. And that's why you got to love and appreciate artists who really make themselves vulnerable in that way. And don't just sing about, you know, poppy love and, and lighthearted stuff. Right. It's, it's the real, it's the meaningful, it's the painful stuff that really connects with people on a broad yeah. way and a universal way. That definitely sounds to me like a lot like what I think of when I think of Dave Matthews and the Lily White albums, right? Which then became, um, uh, he made it actually into an official album. It was one that wasn't released and it's all about losing his sister. And it's, it's extremely powerful. The whole, the whole album is extremely, um, is extremely moving. Um, but I, it reminded me also of, you, you've seen the movie Yesterday. Did you see Yesterday? The Beatles? Yeah. Yeah. The, the but the one you know which one it is it's the one where the Beatles didn't exist yep yep go ahead and tell everybody oh if you haven't seen it spoiler alert it's a great movie um it's That's it's about a, a guy spoiler. <laughs> they can find that out in Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> I'm, I'm actually taking after my daughter my eldest daughter who keeps saying things like spoiler alert I'm home and I'm like no that's not how spoiler alerts work on like I'll, I'll teach you when you get older but she's so <laughs> but this movie this movie is uh, about a guy who, who gets into some sort of weird accident and has something weird happen. And all of a sudden it's as if the Beatles the, never existed because he plays a song and people don't know what it was. And he realizes the Beatles never existed. And he basically writes, sort of puts out all their songs. And one of the most amazing parts about it is there's sort of like a weird thing where you think no one else in the world knows that the Beatles existed except him. Yeah. And he's, you know, putting all these songs on the he album. steals their songs basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes you, there's this actually, it's a, if you, if you like movies, which have philosophical quandaries and, and moral, moral, you know, dilemmas, this is a great moral dilemma because he's basically lying to the entire world that he wrote all these songs. But, um, but in it, there's these like couple people who keep like popping up at like shows that he does and they look very strange and odd. And I don't want to give anything away, but it, it has to do with this connection and knowing and, and the music and knowing the music. Um, it's very powerful. And yeah. So, I mean, in that sense to, to think about what artists have done and what they've given to us. And then if it were taken away, that to me was also a very powerful theme within that, within that movie. Yeah. One, the kind of closing thought about music that I'm just having is about the, how a song lives eternally once it's put out there into the world, you know, mm. um, beyond even the artists who perform it. And some music has um, become more meaningful after the artists have passed or retired from music. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that people can put into the world as their gift uh, to the world, sort of their swan song, um, and I think it's, it, it tells us all that, you know, we get that this life is finite, but there's something about us that, that will live on eternally. And um, music still has this, you know, can have the same effect. It becomes its own life and its own, its own life force after it's, you know, released and played and put out there in the world, even if it's imperfect and the artists wanted to change it or do more with it, it it's its own life and it takes on its own meaning and the, the listeners get to give it power uh, for better or for worse. And sometimes that power comes from death. And I think there's something very real that speaks to that, you know, that eternal life, that reincarnation of, uh, of emotion and spirit that happens through music. Um, and I don't have I don't a good know. story for that, but I don't know if you, I have two things to say in regards to that one. I don't know if you if you remember there was a great uh, SNL sketch. I know this is like a big shift from what you were just saying, but a bit an SNL sketch with uh, Dana Carvey, where he um, 
he he basically starts to write a song on the spot because he didn't write the song yet, right? I don't know if you ever saw this. Chopping broccoli, chopping broccoli. That's right. And he chopping starts broccoli. Just stuff up. But then the subsequent sketch when they they say they, the song becomes super popular, even though he, it's like totally made up on the spot and it's a ridiculous song. And he comes into his uh, producers, whatever the record record execs, and they say, "So um, we have a great idea of how to really improve your record sales." And he says, "Oh yeah, what what's it, what is it?" And he says, "Kill yourself." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that in and of itself, sort of like he was like, "What?" He's like, "But I'm not going to see any of the money." And they go, "That's not relevant. Like mm-hmm. you should kill yourself. Your it'll the the it'll skyrocket." So that's that's one. If you haven't seen that sketch. I'll try and find it and put it in the show notes. The other one is about life, uh, the life of a song. Um, ben Folds did a bunch of songs with Nick Hornby, right? And yeah. he's the one who wrote High Fidelity. If you haven't seen any of these things, drop what you're doing and go see them. But in, in the one album with, that he wrote with him called Lonely Avenue, there's a song called Belinda. And the song, basically, all the, all the lyrics were written, were written by Nick Hornby and uh, Ben Folds wrote all the melody to all the songs. And the song Belinda is about like a one hit wonder, this guy mm-hmm. who writes this one hit wonder and all these 30 somethings, 40 somethings, 50 somethings all come to sing the song with him. And they only wait to hear that song and sing it with him. But it brings up this horrible m- memory for him about how he um, completely left his wife and cheated on her and so while he sings the song, which he hates singing and he doesn't want to sing anymore, he thinks about this woman who he used to be with. And it's called Belinda. It's, it's, a, it's a very powerful song. Um, but that's like, in a sense, I, I always think about, you know, when artists are up there singing songs, I always think like, God, do they hate this song now? Do they, do they, did they, was it from a period of their life that they don't want to remember, but they have to keep singing it because it's yeah. what's popular? That's, yeah. so, I mean, it can kill someone. Well, it's the creative birth, right? Like you give birth to this thing and then you have to let go of its life. You know, you can kind of do interviews to talk about what you meant or, or who you were talking about, or you can let go completely. There's a range of how they can work on it, but it still has a life of its own and it goes to places and, and it takes on kind of second and third lives in, in the translation of the artist of the musicians in this case, just like any art piece, you know, people can say they see one thing and the person next to them having the same exact experience for all intents and purposes says they see something completely different. Same with music. It's, it's born. It now has this life and it becomes, you know, eternal life beyond the artist. and good artists kind of are able to do that in a way where it's not all about them, but it's right. just about the craft and the creativity and they give it up. It's essentially like this gift, this offering to people's need for healing, for time travel, for connection, for eternal life beyond themselves that, that we've just talked about, you know? And, and um, I think that's you know something that I really appreciate about all artists is how do you give that up and not consistently make it about, you know, no, 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 no. It wasn't about that. Get, get over yourself. You know, I didn't talk about your grandma. It was about my father or whatever. <laughs> um, another, uh, to, to put somebody else out there who I don't know if you, do you know Ben Rector? Do, do you, have you ever heard of him? No. He's a, he's an artist that I, I just want to put out there for anybody who hasn't found him. I think that he is so spot on. I, like I said, I build these, uh, playlists for my wife. And in doing so, sometimes songs pop up, I hear them and I put them, you know, on the playlist, but I don't really look into the artist. And I looked into him and every one of his songs, I feel like not everyone, but the majority of his songs are unbelievable. And I want to ask you a question in regards to it as well. Um, I find that when I listen to music, the first thing that catches me is the melody, right? And then afterwards, the lyrics become important to me. Are you the reverse of that or do you do the same? And then, I mean, the best, the, the best thing is when both things for me work, right? When there's a great melody and there's, a, there, there's great lyrics. Um, yeah, maybe not the first thing, but it, it's melody's definitely up there. Beat for me is up there. And um, sometimes I've, I've found that I, some I, I, unique singers, the, the voices of a singer sometimes are just the thing that hooks me on a deeper level and something that's unique or, um, you know, has some, some grit or edge to it. I, it will often catch me and then I'll pick up on, Oh, they were saying, <laughs> they were actually saying things. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's, I, I always feel like I wasn't really listening until I later hear it. Um, but just to give you an example of, of, uh, Ben Rector, um, one of his songs that I really like is called note to self. 
And I'll just read a couple lines from it because you'll get the point of it. He, he basically sings songs in a very sort of everyday person kind of way. And, and, and for me, it really spoke to me. But this one, it starts out by say, saying, note to self, clean the living room, do the things you don't want to do. Maybe mm-hmm. fold that week old pile of clothes. <laughs> and like, it just keeps going to that note to self, do some exercise. You feel bad. It feels bad, but you have to try. And then it goes on to say like, you know, speak to your mother. She, you know, talk to her longer than you want to. She probably likes it. And she's the only mother you have. And it just keeps, it keeps going into these things that I go, yeah, yeah, I need to do that. Um, and the great, the great line in this also says, um, th- you know, you've written a lot of notes to yourselves, but this is the first note you've written for someone else. And it's clear that he has somebody else in his life that he's trying to write notes for. And I, and I always, it reminded me of like, I don't know if you do this for your children. I, I don't do this for my children, but I always thought it was powerful when somebody would put a note in somebody's lunchbox and, you know, like tell the kid that you love them or whatever. Oh, yeah. And like, that's what it reminded me of, that there was some sort of message that he was sending to everybody. It was, I, these things, they, they moved me. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, Hey, I want to give the listeners an exercise before we wrap up. Uh, we'll pro- we're probably shorter than we usually are. And that's on purpose. I, I'd love for you to log off in a minute. And um, after you've liked subscribed, uh, go find a go find one of your one of your uh, to the podcast. Go find uh, one one of those songs that speaks to you. Whether it's one that brings healing and wholeness, uh, something that brings you to a place uh, in a different time and kind of kind of uh, helps you draw you into a different time in your life. Something that connects you with a larger group of people or has that kind of meaning and purpose. Uh, that lives beyond yourself. Find that song. Remember that song. Go ahead and listen to it. You know, let yourself feel that. Let yourself sink into that moment, whether it's joy or grief or um, elation or release, whatever it is. Um, use this moment as a gift um, to slow your life down. Let music speak to you in a way um, as the last thing you do. And if if you do have an experience or have a song, we'd love to hear um, what it was, or, or even just the song that means something to you. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram and just put it in the comments below. We'd love to hear and have conversations with you online um, about the, the spiritual power of music. And because in a way we're, you know, we're continuing to, to live through that music by just talking about it and letting it um, have that experience beyond ourselves. So thank you beforehand, even for taking that seriously and for sharing what you're doing with us. Cause uh, it, you know, it's a gift to us to be able to hear back from you as well. Any last comments before we sign off, Jamie? That was awesome. That's all <laughs> I wanted to say. <laughs> it's very self I love you, Ralph. <laughs> no, you, I'm talking about you, not me. Like, Oh yeah. The podcast, that was awesome too, but Ralph, that was awesome. Keep it up. Oh, thanks. Well, hope it's awesome for the listeners too. Jamie, good to see you as always. Thanks always, for chatting. Bro. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. Take care, everybody. See you.